everyone, welcome to Better Homes and Dungeons. Um, I don't have a stupid joke this week, I'm very sorry, but next week I'll have two for the price of one. Oh no! Oh no! Yeah, I don't know, it's one of those things that I'm really looking at and thinking... Because usually we start with a terrible BDSM-based pun, and it's getting to the point where I think I really should back away from even slightly making fun of that community, because a bunch of them can probably fight better than me, and the other punch, sorry, the other bu like bunch of them may enjoy pain way too much, so it's like, there's no way of winning that fight. <laughs> it's going to end very badly for me either way. So... Um, situation. I yeah. will. Uh, I I can provide the the pun for you. Um, oh, thank you. I I will tell you. Um, I can tell you periodic table of elements jokes, but they are so bad that you might want to take them out back and bury them. <laughs> Many would say that that was so damn terrible. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh. Yeah, I I am a dad. I have two children, and it is. I mean, my sense of humor was bad to begin with, but uh, I found, <laughs> I found bedrock and started digging. <laughs> Excellent. So um, my, my usual question here is because I'm terrible at introducing people is, so who are you and what do you do? Um, yeah, so I'm Sadie. This is Amber, um, and Amber will introduce herself, uh, but... Uh, I am a writer and an editor. I work professionally as an editor at a book publishing company. Um, and in my spare time, I just write and I don't stop writing. Uh, I recently published my first adventure to DM Skilled, uh, A Darkness from the Stars. And we've got many more in the works this year. Uh, I just really like to write. Uh, edit when I can make myself focus on my own work for more than five minutes and... Uh, doodle between projects. Sounds good. And I'm Amber. Uh, I'm also a writer. Uh, I have a bachelor's degree in arts and technology, focus in game de design, with a smaller focus in narrative design. Um, I don't do that professionally at the moment. I'm actually an IT assistant. Um, I also enjoy writing pretty much in my spare time. Drawing also published a first adventure to DMs Guild, The Fog of Soulhaven, and I'm really excited to keep working with Sadie to create many more. Booyah. What, what is the A Darkness from the Stars about? So A Darkness from the Stars capitalizes on a location in Eberron that uh, I didn't really see get... Uh, touched on in official material it i wanted to delve into the star peaks academy and use that as a backdrop to academy the star peaks observatory and use that to uh as the backdrop for a more mystical adventure so a darkness from the stars uh revolves around uh, a creature that resides underneath the observatory you can run it as either an astral dragon or as a quarry disguised as an astral dragon depending on whether you're running it in a homebrew campaign or in Eberron itself. And essentially, adventurers are called there uh, to investigate a weird, uh, you know, these weird happenings. Uh, they've solved some very lore-heavy puzzles in order to get underneath the mountain, and then they face the creature. Okay, so this is more of a, um, I guess, what uh, people may describe as an exploration-based adventure, or is it more RP? I would say it's a it's a good mixture of the two. So there's there's a lot of, of choices you can make with the teams of astronomers um, and a lot of ways that your choices will influence them. Uh, but it's also very lore heavy. So paying attention to how the world works, paying attention to the explanations the DM gives you about the world and its lore will help you later on down the line, uh, not just know what you're facing in terms of the final enemy, but it'll also get you through the puzzles. So hmm. Eberron's astronomy, Eberron's um, the way that their world works, uh, all of that is going to help you get through. So it's it's leaning kind of into both. That's excellent. I, I sometimes think that exploration is one of the kind of neglected pillars of 5th uh, edition D&D. Uh, &D. And we tend to go very, very hard in the other two pillars, you know, um, RP and combat. Um, but I, I think that sounds really, really cool. I'll, uh, I'm, I will have to give that a read, I guess. 
Yeah, we um we actually Amber and I we want to make two of the adventures that we're trying to make later this year uh are we want to have players we want to give settings where players explore ruins of ancient civilizations or ancient, you know, just settings or sacred places or magical places and the goal again sort of is the more that you glean about the area and its past and the more that you engage with the setting and with the story the easier time you have getting through we have one that's um an an underwater temple or ruins we haven't really decided we have another one that's in a jungle and the goal is to sort of encourage players to engage Mm -hmm. with what they're seeing what they're smelling what they're hearing what they're learning uh we really like you said, I do think that exploration really gets neglected, and we want players to be rewarded for paying attention when their DM starts, you know, <laughs> reading off the script. Yes, when they describe a door for three sentences, you say, wait a second. <laughs> I know what's going to happen. There's an actual reason to listen to the DM when they're, you know, three sentences into the door description. <laughs> yeah, so I don't get stabbed when I open the door. <laughs> exactly i open the door with mage hand from around the corner (laughs) i investigate the door for magical locks and regular traps and (laughs) everything in between yeah i I guess it's one of those things though like you want to kind of i guess give enough oblique hints so that they pay attention to the next time you obliquely sorry subtly hint at something um, but not so to the point where they're like, all right, I need to inspect this door. And it's like, look, that leads to the cafeteria. They're not going to trap that one because they get hungry too. <laughs> it's definitely a balance, yeah, of wanting them to pay attention, but also not latch on to minute details. Um, my players in my homebrew campaign are, sorry, Amber, somewhat notorious <laughs> for grabbing onto tiny details and thinking that that's the key to the puzzle. It's almost amusing. Out here, but that's, I think. <laughs> but that's, that's great Didn't when you've got that. Be because, a roast. But, but, but that's great because when they realize what you are actually going for, you can really spring a trap. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, we have more than once gotten utterly blindsided by <laughs> puzzles because I, we do not understand how things work. I have to say, the the person that uh, is my dungeon master, he has this habit of putting his hands like this. Oh, no. <laughs> and whenever he... Okay, for people who aren't watching, uh, what I did was cover my uh, mouth and nose with my hands like I'm thinking. And I swear by everything that's holy, Cameron, I can't trust you when you do that. <laughs> I can't. Like, he does it even when he's, like, playing in the game that I used to run, that we used to play together, uh, when I was his DM. And he still did it. And I'm thinking, what are you up to? <laughs> I'm supposed to be in charge of this world, but I don't know what's about to happen. Um, I don't, I don't uh, trust you for a second. Yeah, I, don't, I don't. Amber, is there is there anything I say that you, you hear it and you go, oh, no. <laughs> When you start laughing, mechanically, <laughs> that's usually a good clue that something bad is about to happen. Uh, actually, in our two live sessions, whenever you stand up, that oh. also tends to mean something bad's about to happen. Oh, interesting. Okay. The 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 the, the power stance. Yeah. <laughs> the, the the dominance stance, I guess. The hello, I'm the DM. Remember. <laughs> look, I you stand you you, you models look so small from up here. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And um, Amber, you said that you had uh, released an adventure called The Fog of Soulhaven? Correct. Excellent. What's it all about? Uh, This one is a uh, gothic horror adventure that can be run in a homebrew or Forgotten Realms campaign setting, uh, preferably. I mean, you could probably tweak it to fit whatever, but it was meant to be setting independent or setting neutral, Mm -hmm. I suppose the correct term is. Um, It's basically about a... um, Victorian-styled city called Soulhaven that at some point, three years past, was put under the curse of an unending fog by an eldritch abomination that hates the god's patron deity of uh, law, order, and the sun. Mm -hmm. And basically this fog 
gets you lost, sort of, you know, addles you, gets you lost, and the longer you spend in it, it eventually corrupts those in it into aberrations. Um, so the city has basically been flooded by this fog, and it's shrinking progressively uh, to basically just a couple of safe areas. Um, and the players will waltz in, kind of at its worst, uh, meet a pair of bounty hunters that have been claiming the bounties on the aberrations to try and make the city a little safer, figure out the big, um, char gar big gargantuan aberration rooted in the temple's uh, cathedral, or the city's cathedral, and uh, kill that to basically purge the fog from the city. Hmm. Uh, and I, I want to brag about Amber for a second. Not only did she set up this absolutely spooky atmosphere with hers, uh, she also includes uh, custom roll tables for venturing to into the fog. So the DM can absolutely have a heyday making their characters' lives that much harder with custom roll tables, atmosphere effects. Uh, she put so much work into making this horrifying. I really like the sound of that um, because I really, really like uh, when an environment can, ha can I guess, convey its own tone and a lot of its own narrative where you can use parts of an environment to say, hey, this place is okay. Here's how the world is responding to you. But other parts where it says the world and the universe don't like you <laughs> and you yep, cannot fight them. You cannot punch the universe. <laughs> it you cannot notice. punch the fog. You can try. You cannot punch the fog. <laughs> you, can, you can certainly <laughs> try. I was going to say, we, we have an expression. It's like punching fog. You know, it's, it's the same thing. But that, that sounds really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun to see, you know, um, when we ran it, it was very interesting to lean into the roleplay aspects of the characters getting kind of lost in the fog because you'll have segments where they have to go through it in order to progress or to explore the city uh, and find their way to places. And it was really fun to watch them lean into the roleplay of, uh, oh no, we're getting lost and these effects are taking over. You're seeing shadows, you're hearing voices, uh, people you know are screaming in the distance. Uh, while you're fighting these misshapen aberrations, these former citizens of Soulhaven, they're like bloated and mutated and monstrous, and you've got to put them down. I I really do like the sound of that. I mean, it, it also strikes me, um, if the DM really wanted to have fun, they could maybe like rent one of those fog machines or get some dry ice or something and just slowly Ooh. ramp it up throughout the night. Yes. Oh, that would be fun. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I assume the name of the um, aberration is not something along the lines of We Get It, You Vape? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, the, end, uh, the end aberration that's causing, or the sliver of the aberration that's causing the fog because it's an eldritch god, and that's, a, that's an after-the-adventure hook if you want to go try and kill that thing. Uh, but the sliver of the corruption you face is called the Yawning Maw, and it's a 50 by 50 foot gaping mouth in the floor. Can I just... She she revealed the map to us with this giant mouth in the floor and tentacles sprouted up, and I swear to you that if, uh, if were it not for the laws of uh, not screaming in, in, you know, in your neighborhood, we probably would have been shrieking. That, that, that sounds like something I might need to buy. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely you do. And, and hurt my, my, my player characters with. Because that sounds... Or, or I, might, I might just nick some of the ideas and be like, right, that sounds great. I'm going to do that here and here. That's really cool. Hey. Please. You take it and run with it. Insp inspiring people is one of the best parts of writing. Absolutely. Excellent. I guess also, I mean, if someone's, say, um, attacking in the fog, uh, the, the phrase, you missed, uh -huh. um, I, ah. I'm, I'm guessing that would get old <laughs> very soon. <laughs> <laughs> I cast fog cloud. You're already in one. What you're, are you doing, You're really uh, dampening my spirits with these puns. I'm, I'm a bad person. I'll confess now. <laughs> I'm going to have to leave early at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what, what, the the guy I told you about, my DM, he is, I think, getting to the point where I'm going to, my characters are going to start having horrible, horrible deaths. 
It just means I like to think of worse ones. Um, now, anyways, um, what you told me was that you have a couple of upcoming projects this year that uh, you're working on. Um, mm -hmm. Now, one you said was an airship adventure? Yes. Ah, yes, uh, that's one, one. that is the one we are currently in the process of writing right now, actually. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm all ears. Is this, a, is this another Ebron thing? It is. Um, we are taking advantage of the Mornland. And um, uh, how much do you know about Eberron? Uh, I know it exists. Um, okay. <laughs> I know it so, has, like, magic-powered robots and, like, elementals oh, okay. that get, like, chained into things to, like, yeah. things. That's okay. about all I know. It, perfect. You know enough. So okay. what the Mornland is, it, uh, the history of Eberron is that uh, there was a, a giant war called the Last War and... Um, and throughout the course of that war, there was a devastating event called the Day of Mourning, in which in that completely devastated an entire nation. And what's very cool about Eberron is that it does not define for you what caused that. That's very much DM driven. It could be uh, magical experiments. It could be uh, a, an aberration. It could be the quarry. It could be any kind of thing that would cause devastation on a mass scale. And that created, it turned Sire, Sire, Siri, however, uh, apparently there's multiple ways to pronounce that, but it turns that entire country into a place that has become completely corrupted. There are, we, we love roll tables, apparently, because there are roll tables of different effects that you can have there, and some of them are brutal, like... Uh, healing magic is only half effective when you're in the Mornland or that kind of thing. So we're taking advantage of the Mornland. We're going to introduce new effects because um, we, we we love roll tables, apparently. Um, and we're going to have characters, we're going to have the party fly into the Mornland to retrieve something for a rich benefactor. And they are going to come face to face with some of the monstrosities of the Mornland and uh, in trying to make this kind of character facing and make this really engaging, we, we've, we're trying to engage the characters in different ways. One, we're giving a lot of opportunities for the DM to really dig into the history of the monsters and the people that they're facing and the history of the Mornland and what DM is in your world. What caused the day of mourning? Can you lay those hints here? Um, and we're also giving the players a lot of options with, um, or I should say the party, a lot of options with, uh, we're balancing, you have a very cool thing that you're retrieving and you have a very large sum of a reward. And so how the players go through this adventure, do you, you have this very cool magical item. Do you want to use it and thus not get your reward? Do you want to, and also damage your relationship with the pirates who are carting you there? Do you want to, uh, face these, these monstrosities without this item and boldly go back having earned your reward um, and keeping a really good relationship with this airship crew who has, who can probably provide transportation for you in the future. Uh, we're trying to in lay in a lot of options, a lot of flexibility and uh, a lot of chance for um different outcomes in what's supposed to be a very short adventure, but it, it seems like it keeps growing in scope. Excellent. It, it sounds cool. And I, and I, I like the idea of, um, I like the idea of sacrifice and consequence in fifth ed. Mm -hmm. It's one of the easiest ways I think to, um, to convey character choice on a small scale mm. is to, basically just kind of have a give and take relationship with whatever your reward is. In this case, you have an item with multiple charges. If you use any of these charges and hand the item back to your benefactor, you're going to have your gold um, reduced accordingly because he wanted it back intact. Um, you also have the option to effectively just take it and run if you want to, because it's cool. You could just take it and leave but you're not going to make people happy if you do that i can already name which of my player characters would do that <laughs> and that's why Tyler. we wrote in the option <laughs> no he'd he'd find a way to weaponize it beyond what it already is um 
No, that's cool. I mean, I was actually listening and thinking about um, uh, Life is Strange, that you have limit, which I haven't played, but I've heard a lot about. And apparently, you have a lot of you have a set number of charges or times you can manipulate time. Yes. And mm-hmm. if you don't know something bad is coming up, and you've already used all your time things, a very very bad thing can happen, and you've got no way of fixing it. And what's yeah, I, I I'm kind of. It's a pretty bad thing. There's like a, a con- I, I don't want to do a content warning, so I'm just going to say it's a bad thing. Um, yeah. But also, I don't want to spoil the game for people who haven't played it and would maybe go on me saying, "Hey, from everything I've heard, it's really good." Um, but it means that suddenly there is a moment where it's like your player characters get hit in the chest with a medicine ball because, like, oh, wait a sec. Because we did this, this is now happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I always, I, I like that as an idea. Um, Amber actually did something like that in The Fog of Soulhaven. I, I think an interesting player, uh, player choice also is just use of your resources in not just rations, but um, Amber gave the characters uh, lanterns that they could light in order to kind of fight back the fog. But you only have oil for, you know, a few uses. So do you use it now? Do you use it later? Do you take that risk? Um, I think that that's... Sorry. It's a different way of strategizing. It's... it's, And I I like the way that it engages players, different types of players, because it's very much... uh, It's very much risky in Mm. a lot of ways. It is. And I mean, also, I mean, I, I think the idea of putting players in a position where they are Sophie making a choice to tie that little um, reference together. Um, that can be really powerful as well. But I, I think you'd also need to make sure that you're at the right table where it's like, look, these two people that you value, one of them you can help live, the other one that you don't help is definitely going to die. And I know that you've got to be at the right table for that, so I don't think it's for all tables. Um, Mm. but that makes, I think that, you know, it, A, makes them reveal how invested they are in what you're doing so you can start tailoring things, but also gives them a really good reason to try and make, like, to, to try and make as much of a difference as they can. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know how well that would go over at our table <laughs> as we try to save both people, even though it's not possible. Then I kill uh, them uh, both. Uh, Josh, let me tell you a little bit about my table. Oh, uh, yes, I, go on. We, fond- <laughs> we fondly refer to them as the Mercy Hobos. And um, when, when Amber and I uh, talk to you about, you know, character-driven narrative, uh, a lot of that is actually inspired by our table. My players will, if given a choice to not kill something or to not fight it will absolutely take that route. They have finagled their way out of so many combat encounters that I've had to just throw up my hands and start making my villains almost irredeemably evil to, if I want them to actually fight them. But what, what it means for me, the DM is that I am writing for them more tailored and almost more faceted encounters now. And I think that that's start what's beginning to influence a lot of what Amber and I are writing is this idea that, um, you know, write for your players and write for the kinds of stories that they want to tell and write for their characters. These are characters that don't necessarily want to do senseless violence. They want the chance to redeem people or to take care of things in ways that reflect them well. The primary example we have, uh, if you don't mind a story, is um, we. I set up a haunted house, basically, scenario. They were wandering through a city needing some gold, and they came across a little advertisement. And all it said, in all caps and with a bunch of exclamation points, was HOUSE STILL HAUNTED. And they were like, what does that mean? So... They followed up on it and they found that this ghoul was basically this, this specter had killed basically almost every family that had moved into this house in the past several years. And even in the last family was a group of clerics who wanted to cleanse the house, but it, it slaughtered them too. And a lot of D&D players, I think, would rush in 
you know, kill the ghost as fast as possible, get the reward money and get out. Um, but I know my players. I know my players very well. And I know their characters. And I know that their characters don't want that story. So what I wrote, I let them the ghost was on the top floor, I let them explore the bottom floor first, and I gave them hints. They were seeing things like, uh, some rooms were torn apart, but others weren't. They were seeing they saw a dining hall where there were knives and swords dug into the head table. Uh, the head chair of the table, but that one place, one setting was completely clean. Like one had been taken care of. They went upstairs. And again, this is normally where people would fight the ghost. They didn't. They trapped it in magic circle so that they could continue to explore the upstairs. So they, his name was Baronon. They went, okay, Baronon, you, you chill right there. We're going to be right back. Uh, and they kept exploring the house. And they started getting more hints. The child's room was very, very clear uh, and kept very clean. Uh, there were smashed alcohol bottles. And when they went down into the cellar, all of the alcohol was absolutely rotted. And I was giving them records uh, where they could hear conversations of the past. And what the story that eventually unfolded was that the ghost had died of natural causes and was at peace until there was a young boy in his home who was being abused by his father. And that awoke the ghost's spirit and the ghost began to act as his protector. And the reason the ghost can't rest now, um, the reason that the ghost had been becoming more violent and less tethered and less anchored was because the father basically took the son with him when he escaped and said, you can't kill me, you know, I'm using him as a shield, you can't get me and he took the boy and he ran. Mm -hmm. And my players went and they grabbed paintings, they faced the ghosts in the magic circle, and they were pointing at different people like, this is the boy, you're fond of the boy, and the ghost starts nodding. This is the father and the ghost starts shrieking and beating his fists against the, the, the wall of this magic circle. And they're like, okay, you can't rest because the son is still alive and you don't know that he's safe and the ghost starts nodding. And so the, the actual culmination of this adventure was not go into a haunted house and kill the ghost. It was go down to the docks, save the boy who's being locked into a house to keep himself, to keep the father safe and send the father to prison for years of child abuse. And they accomplished that with some, clever shape-shifting, so a, a very timely use of the suggestion spell to make the father turn himself in, and they took the boy back uh, to the home where he got to thank the ghost, and the ghost got to basically say, I loved you like a son, before he passed on and was finally at rest. And then uh, the boy got to basically inherit the house. Um, and that's just one example of how I've been so I've had to not had to actually I've, I've had the joy of finding new ways to storytell in which the most obvious combat is not the answer and my players get a more enriching story and uh, a more a story that's more adapted to them because they don't want to murder hobo be, because mm. I'm listening to what they want and trying to write for that uh I do want to say that sounds really cool, although I have played in a group where what they would have done is set the house on fire <laughs> and then said, it's no longer haunted. Pay up, thank you. Money! So, so, yeah, that group knows who they are. Um, and it, it's, it's kind of at the point where I had to make sure like the things they had to retrieve were extremely flammable. It's like, yeah, I know what you guys are going to do. I'm not going to let you get away with it. The funny thing is, is that our group actually also likes setting things on fire. We have a running joke about arson. It just so happens that we tactfully set things on fire. <laughs> Except for that town we set on fire and didn't know how to put it out, so we had to summon a goddess to do it for us. <laughs> Yeah, I, th I think we just called that the Australian expansion. Um, <laughs> and uh, people, that's how Australians cope with things. Sarcasm. Um, now, also, you said that you've uh, 
in our little chat beforehand, um, you have an anthology of adventures um, that focuses on like a main villain. Yes, Sin. Do you want to? Do go on. Amber, do you want to feel that one, or do you want me to take that? Uh, sure. I'll I'll go into a little bit about this one. So uh, the idea was that we wanted to create an anthology of adventures where basically it gives the DM a recurring villain to play with. Um, this was one of our later term year projects, so it's more conceptual at this stage than anything. Um, but the idea is to probably have it go through tier ones through three um, of play of having this villain go on for that extent of time. Um, Basically, we wanted to start out with a very small term villain, like, you know, a thief, a magic item thief. And as you go through these adventures, um, she'll end up stealing more and more items um, and get stronger and stronger. But the real draw is about having the idea of choices and how you interact with her influences what adventures you'll end up running in this sequence. So if the players prevent her from stealing X item, but she is, uh, instead steals Y item, let's say a rod of ice instead of a you know fire rod, uh, she'll take that rod of ice and go somewhere where it's more useful for her to use that to get into a different, and that's a different adventure than the adventure you would run after she steals the fire rod. Okay. And in between, we wanted to have... Um, sort of an interesting branching path taking, like a choose-your-own-adventure, basically, and how this villain adapts. Like, they might get different items in these adventures that change the skills that she uses at the end, um, what the players, how they interact with her might influence how, like, ruthless she is, or how kind she is, or if this is more of, like, a rivalry sort of deal, then a, she ends up being far more dangerous come the final adventure and your final fight. And where she ends up heavily depends on that as well. We want this to be very replayable. We want DMs to feel like they can use her in multiple campaigns. And so we're taking her from petty thief to one end. One ending for her might be she's a lich. One might be she's settled herself in as basically a false queen of a country. And, and I'm just spitballing random ideas. We haven't settled these down. But the idea is that uh, we want we want the actions the players take and the relationship they have with her to determine her path and where she ends up. And we want to take her from petty thief to something that is very cool uh, at the end. I, I will confess, I really, really like the idea of a, um, like, say, a supplement where you play it across a few groups. So you kind of rush him on it a little bit. Um, where they see the villain from different angles and then you bring them together for one mega session. Ooh. Hmm. That would be really interesting. Oh, that's also an interesting take. All yours, yeah. please don't bring me in on this. <laughs> <laughs> Too busy? Uh, yes. Uh, I'm actually, I'm currently working on a thing um, called the Wombu... Oh, Sorry. The I, Wombat Rescuers Project? Yes, yeah, I am. Yeah. Me too. Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, there you uh, go. What part, what are you working on in um, for it? I, I did um, the writing for the um, the Thorny Devils and the encounter <gasps> Better the Devils You Know, because I okay. have a terrible sense of humor. Um, <laughs> I did a bunch of um, magic items as well that are all based on Australian uh, people where let me oh, that's get excellent here. let me get them in front of me rather because I'm uh, I remember I had the ha the helm of Holt uh, okay which yeah. Is based yeah, on yeah. Our one time Prime Minister Harold Holt who drowned and then disappeared so the hel the helmet gives you the ability to breathe underwater and cast invisible while submerged yeah. <gasps> that's fantastic. Uh, and the the other one I well, the other two I like is the amulet of Keating, and I'm going to tell people now uh, in your own time go YouTube Paul Keating on the floor. Do you slowly? <laughs> and then just go read a Wikipedia thing about Paul Keating. He was great. Uh, and the other one is the the last one that I really like is the loot of Young Angus, um, uh -huh. which allows you to cast Call Lightning and Earth Tremor. Ooh. Angus Young was the lead guitarist of ACDC. 
<laughs> I love that. Oh, that's oh, perfect. Thank you. I um, I have not done anything nearly as cool as that. So we should have made you go second so that you could end us on a high note. Um, <laughs> but I... <laughs> Uh, I contributed a few encounters as well, uh, but I also did some art. So I created the um, the emerald tree boa and gave it lightning powers for the the lightning shaped uh, white streaks on their back. Okay. And then I drew it. Um, so if you see a painting of an emerald tree boa, that was me. I, I, also I, I am now. I am game. certainly not going through the Discord right now in the art section to see. <laughs> Uh, please do. And I, I drew Moni the healer. Um, That's beautiful. Yes, I've seen it. It's really gorgeous. Thank you. Um, and I also drew a box of magic beans. I, I did like the fact that they were chocolate coated. I, I, I appreciated the <laughs> reference. Although, although um, given that it's supposed to be Australian, I, I imagine they're more, uh, that Blake substance could be Vegemite. <laughs> oh, oh yes. no. Yes. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> I uh, I do love the, uh, the the part in Lydia's description um, where she wrote, uh, and if you're all dead, please consult a cleric. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Now that that Manny looks really cool. I had, I didn't know it was you. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness. Here, um, I will actually send you right now my uh, tree boa because I'm very proud of how that turned out as well. It's really cool. Uh, Sadie is an amazing artist, and uh, that's great. I I can tell. Uh, like that, Manny is really really beautiful. Um, so yeah, that's one thing I'm working on, and there's a thing that I'm potentially going to be working on maybe later this year with someone who has been on this uh, podcast previously. Um, that will probably destroy me, but you know okay. that'll be part of the fun. Oh no. So yeah. Uh, I- like good destroy, bad destroy. Oh uh, look, any I, any destruction's good and bad. <laughs> That's a little ominous, actually. Depends, it depends. Should we how... be concerned for your safety? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Uh, are we allowed to ask uh, details, or is this? Uh, I I want to no. It's it's um, it, there's a guy called Jaron, and um, he did a fifth ed supplement called the Monsters of Merca. And he wants to do an Australian expansion, and he's asked me, due to our previous association, if it's something I'd be interested in. And I said, yeah, sure. And now I'm just kind of realizing what that may do to me. So I'm going to do it anyways. You know, part of the fun. Um, It's going to involve a lot of kicking the crap out of Australia. And that's okay, because I'm allowed to do that. (laughs) Uh, That sounds like a blast. Uh, That's going to be very fun. Weather on, brave soldier. <laughs> now, we, we did have a question uh, from Jacob, who he plays Conlon in the um, Curse of Strahd, but he's a Railway Baron uh, campaign that I run. Um, now, what, what are some methods used to incorporate not only character backstories and the world around them, but also effects of their choices and interactions into a larger story? Now, part of me thinks you kind of answered a lot of this question, with the anthology that you described, because that sounds really, really cool. Mm-hmm. Well, so Amber and I were talking about this earlier and what we, so we're not as far into our campaign. Um, and I have done a lot of work to incorporate their backstories heavily into a lot of the narrative. Um, in fact, Amber's character, Lorian, his father is one of the, the, the large villain, like long-term villains of the campaign, um, because a- Amber basically handed me him and said, uh, hey, would you like a, a you know, a homemade villain on, villain on a platter? And I was like, absolutely. Um, but um, we, in, in terms of uh, the effects of their choices and interaction into a larger story, uh, what we try to achieve is you know how in Bioware games, right, you have the, the, the red choice and the blue choice, and that affects that scene and some overall scale things. And and that's a decent way to storytell, but I think it feels to some people a little limited. We, we want to try to explore what we call uh, the ripple effect, where it doesn't just stop your your interactions with people, your choices that you make in certain scenes your uh, and at key decision points it ripples 
the people that you talk to and the way that they remember you. We want that to have a larger consequence or benefit into the overall campaign. So if the players uh, are known a little bit, you know, if they royally mess up with this one city and this one city is furious with them, we don't want that to just affect them when they go back to that one city. We want that to ripple out into the larger world, for example. Did someone hear about you from this city? Does this city not send you supplies later when you need it? Uh, does... Uh, you know, do you become a wanted outlaw? Does does the city send assassins after you? And that's a little dramatic, but uh, there are so many ways in which your interact, your little interactions and your big interactions can ripple out, and that's what we're trying to explore. Uh, what are the names that you begin to get known by? Um, I'm personally also I I tend to be a very character driven DM. And so I'm listening to my players as I, they're telling me who their characters are, as their characters are telling me what's important to them. And um, I am actually using there's a supplement called the ancestral weapons, um, except we're calling it divine weapons in ours. And actually, that's available on DM's guild. Go pick it up. It is very cool. Um, I don't remember off the top of my head who wrote it, but just browsing it made my players absolutely giddy um, with the excitement. So oh, we're, we're looking forward to it. We're like, oh, oh yes, and I want that, and I want that, and I want to give my knowledge cleric four more proficiencies as Sadie screams. You can't just keep picking up proficiencies, Amber. <laughs> I'm going to be proficient in everything. <laughs> Um, but, um, I'm actually going to be, you know, I'm homebrewing them weapons using this supplement that speaks to their character. Um, and so they're, the choices they make, the interactions they have with the story influences not just what's happening in the world. It also influences me and how I tell that story for them. So I think that, um, just paying attention to what your players like the most, um, you know, what kind of what stories do their characters interact the best with? Who are their characters becoming and how can you help them become that? What challenges are more personalized to them and how can you implement those challenges to help them become better people and stronger people? Um, how can your how can their it fumblings, but also their victories come back and both hinder and help them so that they learn from their experiences? Uh, I think those are all ways and there are plenty more that you can make your players and your characters feel like their choices matter and like things change because they're engaging with the world. And I think that's one of the largest reasons we all play D&D. I mean, it, it is about the, you know, the social, the, you know, the being part of a community, but also I want to be in a world where what I does matters. Absolutely. For all that the D&D 5e system, I think, has its flaws, one of the things it is really good at mm. is making you see the progression from level one to level 20. That scale is so recognizable that you almost can't help but take notice of that journey to heroism. It's it's almost like it, it's almost got checkpoints where you just go, aha, I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm that much cooler than I was at level one. Um, I, I like to I rag on the 5e system a little bit. Uh, like you said, it, it, I don't think it rewards uh, social social interaction and exploration as much as it could. I think that everything in D&D kind of cycles back to combat a little bit. And um, and I think that's part of the reason that Amber and I are out here writing what we are. I think we want to reward the people who want to social interact. We want to reward the people who want to explore. We want to reward the people who want to see the consequences of their choices and feel like they're shaping the world. Uh, and that drives us a lot as creators. Yeah. Now, my, my, my general rule of thumb is uh, I prefer to play Milestone because if you talk your way through a situation uh, with a monster, I consider that, well, you've defeated the monster. Well done. Yeah. That's, uh, that's kind of how we felt about it. We were discussing it earlier about how um, while the community has definitely made role-playing one of probably the two primary 
pillars uh, of the three of them alongside combat. Um, the rules as written doesn't really reward RPing outside of RPing's sake. Sorry, I'm, I, um, I I just had a slight idea for your anthology. Oh, kind of okay. kind of combining what I said about you know bringing them all together for a mega group. Have say two or three groups where she's a villain, but one group where she is a hero or a victim to them. Oh. And then bring these all together. And then all you need to do is really just, you know. Let them let them go into the gladiatorial ring against each other. <laughs> yeah. 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 <clears throat> no, it's true. Now, um, unfortunately, I'm running out of time, so I'm going to ask my last question. Um, it's, it's something I believe in very, very much. Um, what do you what, what do you both do to make sure that you can continue to work and be part of the community and take care of yourselves? What 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 does your self care look like? Oh, that's a great question. Okay, Amber it looks like uh, strong arming Sadie into taking breaks when she's too stressed. <laughs> wow! <laughs> wow! Look, yeah. You know, Sadie, you thought this was an interview for a podcast. It's actually an intervention. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's fair. I deserve that. <laughs> um, um, you know, I um, in in working with um, Ashley Warren, uh, who has been. Uh, uh, something of a mentor to me. Um, one of the recommendations that she gave me, uh, for, by the way, she is a fabulous person. Um, is if, she if, the if, uncaged anthology person? Yes. Yes. Yes, she is. Um, fabulous, wonderful person. If you're not following her, um, highly recommend. Um, one of her adv- uh, best pieces of advice to me was to actually schedule time off. She says, I schedule one to two days a week where I do not have to work if I don't want to. Um, and I think that what's fun, what, and, and Amber, Amber, you can chime in, um, and speak obviously for yourself, but I think that Amber and I keep a lot of our interests on the table and we, we try to kind of balance our time. We rewrite for our personal projects together and we sometimes spend all night playing final fantasy 14. Um, but uh, I, th- I think that another way that we sort of help each other is on- honestly by working together. That's a form of self-care for me, at least, is just having Amber here to bounce ideas off of and make me take breaks and to feel like, you know, there are two oxen pulling the cart instead of me, the lone mule, yeah. trudging along. <laughs> it-, it also helps, um, I think, to work together with open communication because um, if we if we keep our expectations of each other on the table and make sure that we're clear, we can always be like, okay, we have a deadline, but life came up. Life got in the way. We can push the deadline back and take some time off so that you can recover from life. Um, because especially if there's deadlines that are more inflexible to mm-hmm. work around. And I will also always be a proponent of eat right, sleep, uh, take a walk when you can. Um, the outside is actually very beautiful. Please go be in it. Um, I am currently located in Utah and we have the most stunning skyscapes. Um, read, read a book once in a while. Uh, turn up, turn up the songs in your car on your car radio. Um, I'm a big proponent of don't get so pigeonholed into your work and your goals that you forget to just take a breath, take care of this mortal coil that you call a body and, uh, look around a little bit because there's so much inspiration and beauty hiding in the world around us. There is so much out there that when I'm burned out, I honestly just find that taking a walk or going to a museum or watching a YouTube series uh, on something I haven't before will just get those gears churning again because it's a break for me and it's a chance to open my mind to something a little bit different. Excellent. And Amber, what does what your self-care routine look like? Um, generally letting myself 
take a breath um, every now and then. If I'm in the middle of something and I I'm not being I'm not able to work on it, I'm stuck, I'm frustrated. The moment I know that I get frustrated at something is the moment I know it's time to put it down. Whether that's for five minutes, ten minutes, half an hour, an hour, the rest of the night until the next day. It's important for me to take breaks when I feel myself getting restless and frustrated and angry because I never work good angry and I don't think a lot of people do work well angry. Um, <sighs> spite is a great motivator. Is. <laughs> Anger is not a great creative uh, emotion. <laughs> uh, so I think it's good to uh, temper those. <laughs> Uh, t- temper, temper your your spite uh, with actual, you know, motivation, um, an eagerness and an earnestness to work on your projects. Because the moment that you start to feel frustrated and angry at whatever you're working on is the moment that it stops being fun, and that's the moment that your your desire and your um, your skill starts to go down. Mm. I think. Uh, and so, I, I will confess, surround I yourself amazingly well angry. <laughs> Are you a spite writer? Yes. <laughs> um, and surrounding yourself with good people. Uh, yeah. Surrounding yourself with people. I have been so fortunate to find the friend group that I have. Uh, and they're my D&D group. And I cannot tell you how many times a week I hear the phrase, Sadie, you're amazing. And how many times a week I say the phrase, Amber, so whoever, you're amazing. Um, this community has a lot of positive people in it. And um, surrounding yourself with the good ones, that will keep you creating far longer uh, than anything else, I think. Very true. And unfortunately, that is pretty well my lunchtime. So uh, I do have to say... Um, Sadie, Amber, thank you very, very much for giving me your time. You've given me a lot to, to work on with, with, with what I do, and, and I hope other people got some really good stuff out of it. Uh, thank you for having us. It was a huge pleasure to talk to you and to hear your thoughts and uh, to get your ideas for our anthology. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. it's awesome to be here, and it's awesome to you know have someone to tell the stuff and to receive you know some ideas in return. Excellent. Well, everyone... Um, Please go follow uh, Sadie and Amber on, on the Twitters. Is that something they're allowed to do? Uh, please. Excellent. Uh, yeah. what, what are your Twitter handles? Uh, mine is the word incandescent, but I put a poetic A before the E in incandescent. So it's like incandescent. I'm so sorry about that. I should change it to something more logical. It's all right. Uh, mine is... Uh, quantum underscore synergy uh admittedly sadie is definitely the more active of the two of us uh so if you're wanting updates you should probably go for mostly her at the moment uh once we get the ball rolling i might also be a little more active but she's a she's a better public face than i am follow amber she's so smart she's so smart and wonderful (laughs) lovely excellent and uh everyone i'm josh i can be found at nerdy people d and d uh, please check out follow Josh. We love him. Thank you. Um, and, and please check out the two actual playthings I do. Cool. Everyone, have a great week. Love yourselves. Love each other, etc.